0: I am grateful for the privilege to stand up here this morning and speak to you concerning God's Word. And I pray that it is only the ancient words that will convict you and help you to improve serving God in your Christian life. A couple weeks ago, I saw a quote from a second century Chinese strategist, and I'm not even going to pretend to be able to say his name, but he said, "If you neither know yourself nor your enemy, more than likely ever in, in every engagement you will fail." And this got me to thinking about our enemy, the devil. Do we understand the strategies that he uses or the devices that he comes to us with? It may seem odd that we say that we believe. There is a devil, but yet we live as the fact that he's nothing more than a figment of our imagination or some comic book character. And I dare to say that this is how the world in general sees him. But you can be sure that he is neither one of those. He's as real as Moses, as Abraham, as John, as Paul. As Jesus himself. He is a created entity. The only thing that's different from him and those people is that he is a spiritual being and that we may not see him directly. The Bible gives us repeated warnings about him. In Genesis, the third chapter, we begin reading at verse 1. If I can turn there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Satan came to Eve, pretending, that he had a relationship with God just like she did. He appeared to be very familiar with God and with their relationship with him. In other words, he tried to be familiar in their relationship. Something here that Satan said played a weakness in Eve's feelings and emotions, and she took the bait. Does the method that Satan used with Eve sound familiar to you? Do you ever have a thought that maybe God's way isn't the right way? Or that someone else knows more than what God has established? Something that makes more sense? And we think God surely couldn't be right in that. And especially in an area that we are tempted with. When we think that, and we take the bait, as Eve did, destruction follows. I've done it. You've done it. We can look around everywhere and see the destruction that comes from following against what God says. Their lives, and down to the point of our lives, were affected and changed simply because they believed the lie that Satan spun. And I say spun because he didn't come with a direct affront to them. He came with a partial truth. He came with a half-truth. He knew that they had a relationship. He knew that they had had been told not to eat of a certain tree. But he just rephrased it and caused her to question what God had said. While the world may scoff at the idea of Satan and downplay his role we can be sure that he is as powerful as the scripture says. Scripture is full of references and accounts of dealing with him, with God's people, and how he influenced or attacked them. In 1 Chronicles, the 21st chapter, and verse 1, it shows what Satan can do in the lives of God's people. It says, Now Satan stood up against Israel. And he moved David to number Israel. Now let's get that again. He, Satan, moved David. He caused David to number Israel, which was in uh, direct opposition to what God had said. In Job, you can read throughout the whole book how Satan wrecked Job's life in every part. We can read how King Saul over and over was influenced by an evil spirit to kill David so he would not replace him as king. Satan is mentioned in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah. He is found mentioned in 19 books of the New Testament and referred to by every New Testament writer. Satan is real. More noteworthy, though, is that Jesus knew Satan directly. And he referred to him some 15 times in the scripture. We can read in Luke, the 10th chapter, and verse 18. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In Matthew, the 4th chapter, if you want to turn there. I should have marked these pages. Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In the life of Christ that he lived here as a man, he had to deal with Satan. Just as you and I did. In every instance, Satan tempted Jesus through his emotions. This kind of was a realization to me last night, and When I was working on this lesson, and it really kind of messes you up when you realize something so much that you kind of change your whole approach. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, convey my ideas. But Jesus was, was tempted with hunger, with pride, and his status. And as powerful as Satan is, and as much as he knows our weaknesses, I believe that through his lies, he deceives us through our emotions. And I believe we're our own worst enemy when it comes to uh, committing sin, to falling to temptation. These emotions that we have are real. They're emotions... Maybe that we don't have in check or in control. But he influences us through them. How does he tempt you? What are the things that you struggle with when he comes to you and tries to persuade you away from Christ? Christ told Peter that Satan denied him in the scriptures. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, beginning at verse 31, he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I imagine Satan approaching God just like he did Job and said, let me have a chance at him. He will not follow you. Just let me at him. Can you put yourself in that same situation? Do you think Satan has ever approached God and said, let me have a chance at them because he doesn't love you? He or she doesn't trust you enough? Just let me show you. It's a chilling thought to think that your name is brought up before God by Satan because he wants to defeat you. Jesus further describes Satan when he's talking to the Pharisees In John the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of the father of the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You can be sure that when he comes to you and he tries to prod you through your emotions, that there's not a bit of truth to it. And the way that we combat that is through the truth. Through the Word of God. You notice when Satan tempted Christ, every answer that he gave him was from, directly from Scripture. And I believe that's the way that we win the battle. Jesus spoke of Satan's final abode and those who would not follow God with him in Matthew, the 25th chapter, and verse 41. It says, Then he will say also to those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. In other words, you did not have compassion. Do we have compassion? Do we ignore our fellow man? Or do we try to help them out? I find it interesting that Peter is the one that warns us the way that he does after Satan had sifted him like wheat. Scripture does not specifically tell us what that sifting was like. But it does tell us the outcome of the sifting. He denied Christ. He does go on to strengthen his brethren, though, even today, through his words. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, and here he tells us how, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So while the other scripture doesn't say what the sifting was like, Peter gives us an insight about how we need to approach the devil when he comes to us. And that's to be steadfast in the faith. And then he goes on and talks that we're going to suffer and it's going to be painful. But after we've suffered, that God will establish and strengthen and settle us. Paul also warns us about Satan in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, beginning at verse 10. It says... Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul indicates here that not forgiving someone is a device Satan uses to get you to turn away from God. John tells us about Satan and what he uses in Revelations, the 12th chapter, in verse 9. It says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Just as he did in the beginning, Satan uses lies in every attack that he he goes to. Satan has an array of devices to try to get us to turn away from God. In Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter beginning at verse 14, it says, "And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their work. We're warned that there are people out there today who will twist words and who will try to convince us of their righteousness to get us to follow them, but the scripture says their end is according to their works, not the works of Christ. I believe that all of us here today are believers of the word, or we wouldn't be here. We believe that the word was breathed by God and that every bit of it is important. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter in verse 16, Timothy said, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and equipped for every good work. Sorry, I said Timothy said. That was Paul, who wrote to Timothy. Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. And the scriptures tell us about his strategies. And I believe that that the scriptures tell us that the truth is the way to battle Satan. He uses lies. He uses half-truths. He makes people second-guess what the scripture says. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I believe truth is the answer to every temptation, to every problem we have. To counter every emotion that we have that might cause us to sin. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. There is a way that we can be successful as Christians in defeating what the devil has for us, and that is to put on the armor of God. In Romans, the 10th chapter, in verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And in First Timothy, the 4th chapter, in verse 16, it says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and, the, and those that hear you. Truth is the answer. If it were not the answer then Luke 8 and verse 12 would not be put in the parable of the, of the sower. Luke 8 and verse 12 says, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes, and he takes away the word out of their hearts, that they should be, believe and be saved. The devil doesn't want you to have truth in your heart. He doesn't want, to, want you to study, to show yourself approved. He doesn't want you to listen to the doctrine and stand fast because that is how he gets us away from God. You know, those who have talked to me any at length in the last couple of years know that quite often I will say truth trumps feelings every time. Why? Because our feelings do not always match up with truth. And when they don't, we need to stand on the truth and not our feelings. We need to make our feelings be the truth that God says. I'm having trouble with pages. Truth trumps feelings every time. I believe that truth wins over any situation that you're in. And I believe that feelings or emotion are a common element in every sin that we're tempted with. I want to mention just a few of them and how he uses, us, uses those against us. Weakness, anger, suffering, fear, envy or jealousy, self-righteousness. As we read earlier, Satan attacked Christ on three of these feelings. Weakness when he was hungry pride about who he was, envy about what he could have. But the temptations didn't work because Christ countered it with the truth. Whatever emotion he can use against us, be sure that he will. Let's look at anger. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. How many times have you gotten angry, and the first reaction is, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to teach them a lesson. It's not the response that we should have. Satan got Cain's attention in Genesis, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 3. It says, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very wroth, wroth, and his countenance fell. How did Cain? Deal with his anger. Did he let the sun go down on his wrath? Did he give place to the devil? I think we know by scriptures he did both. And the outcome was that he killed Abel, his brother. In verse 6, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at its door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Do we handle our anger like Cain? Do you ever hear someone saying, Why, why are you angry? You're the one that messed up. Why are you angry? But we tend to get angry sometimes even at ourselves. And in Proverbs, the 29th chapter, verse 22, Solomon gives us a good proverb. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Can we be angry and not sin? Yes, we can, because the Scripture tells us to be angry and sin not. But I would wager that more times than not, our anger causes problems for us because we don't deal with it right. Anger is dangerous and something that we need to get a handle on. I want to look at suffering. You know, suffering is real. This life is full of suffering. It's everywhere around us, and it's part of our lives. I think everyone here has suffered in some form or fashion. But you know there's two lies that Satan loves to use when we suffer. One is that God doesn't care about your suffering and the other is that you deserve comfort and ease more than anything else in the world. Is that true? Does God care? Or does he not care about your suffering? I'm not going to take the time to read the chapter but I would like for you to remember to read Romans 8. It's full. It's full of reasons that tells us that that's a lie and it provides hope for us to to find true joy in our pain. It tells us that life in the flesh is death, but a spiritual mindset will bring us life and joy and peace amidst our pain. It goes on to tell us that God in all his wisdom and in a love that you and I cannot fathom sent his son to this earth to experience our pain and to die for our sins. Does God care? He does care. He's done everything that he can for us. The rest is up to us. He uses suffering to teach us humility and obedience. In 2 Corinthians the 4th chapter beginning at verse 15, it says for all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Verse 6 says or 16 says therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason thereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor to himself, but he is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but that he said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek the scripture tell us that Christ learned obedience through his suffering which of you would say that you deserve to suffer less than Christ I don't think any of us would out loud but sometimes do our emotions tell us that we shouldn't suffer that we don't deserve this God uses suffering to teach us humility and obedience. There's another emotion that Satan uses against us, and that is the emotion of fear. You know, we live in a time that fear is everywhere. I suppose there's not ever been a time when fear wasn't present, but the last couple of years, we've seen fear of illness and fear of death And fear of catching an illness from somebody else who isn't behaving right. And what has that done to people? And it's not local, it's on a worldwide a worldwide scale. It's everywhere. Satan uses fear to draw us away from God because fear causes division it tears us apart and ultimately it makes us doubt the goodness of God and if Satan can move us from that to the point of unbelief then he can more easily keep us away from God in 1 John 4 and verse 17 it says love has been perfected among us in this That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We know him, we love him because he first loved loved us. Now this verse kind of slapped me upside the head, not... Even just with a hand, but more like a bat or a two before. Because it made me realize that I have not perfected love in my life. Because it tells us that perfect love casts out fear. I've got a ways to go. Because I am fearful at times. And we get scared of all sorts of things whether it be in our job, our relationships, the weather. There's so many things that we get fearful of. But the scripture tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And that if we truly trust God to take care of us, that we have nothing to fear. Peter knew about the emotion of fear and how Satan used it to get him to deny the Lord, not once, but three times. He was scared because people were saying, hey, look, he's with this man who's about to be beaten and crucified. And Peter didn't want any part of that. And so Satan got him to deny Christ. In 2 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if God didn't give us the spirit of fear that makes us fearful, who did? Where did it come from? And I, I think we all know the answer. It comes from Satan. Christ said in John, the 14th chapter and verse 27, peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Who are we following? Are we following the one that brings fear into our life? Or are we following the one that says, Do not be troubled, neither be afraid. David says in Psalms 58, or Psalms 56, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, God. I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? You know, David understood there that truth trumps feelings. Because David was running. He was running so he wouldn't be killed. And you know he had to be afraid. But he still said, God, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you self-confidence or pride is an emotion that Satan uses against us and I'm going to use David as an example because we just read about him you know when David was a boy he was very humble he gave God the glory for everything that he did in the account of David and Goliath you remember that Saul told David you can't go up against him you're just a boy but David recounted to Saul how he had killed a lion and how he had killed a bear while he was watching his father's sheep. In 1 Samuel the 17th chapter and verse 37 it says moreover David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And God delivered David out of the hand of the Philistine. Humility and trust in God will give us success in our battles. But when David became king, and he was over all this army of Israel, and he was influenced by the power of... And the success, then he had a little bit different attitude at times. But David was human, and he succumbs to temptation like us. You know, God had a policy with Israel, and we read about this a bit ago, that God wanted to be the one that Israel gave the glory to in every battle they won. Because of that, God often told them to lessen their numbers. And they always fought against a nation with fewer people than they were fighting. And when God blessed them in that battle, they won. Because God fought the battle for them. But... In 1 Chronicles, again, 21 and verse 1, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number them. Now, this was a, a point of pride because now David was trusting in this huge number that he found out what their army was. And it led to destruction. David was able to choose... The, uh, the suffering that would be cast upon Israel, and he chose that plague from God because he said he would rather deal with God's evil than man's. And even during that, God repented and stopped killing Israel because of David's humbleness. The parable of the rich farmer in Luke 12 is a familiar story to all of us. And the farmer and his pride and trust in his riches says, what am I going to do? I've got all this stuff. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build greater. I'm going to put them in and I'm going to eat, drink, and be happy and not worry about anything. And God took his life that night. In Proverbs, the 16th chapter, in verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of an humble spirit with the lowly, than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds a word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You know, in all of these emotions, and, and there are many more, Satan attacks us with the intent of pulling us away from God. He's always looking at how he can use his lies and our emotions combined together to get us off track. Jesus reinforces this in John the 8th chapter in verse 44. You are of the father your devil. The devil and the desires of your father you want to do. And it just, last night, it hit me while I was working on this what a master Satan is at getting people to follow their emotions that are out of control. And it hit me because I realized that he did the very same thing to get Christ killed. Let's just look at the death of Jesus He used anger to stir up people against Christ. In Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 28, it says, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. If it would have been up to them, they were angry. They took him then to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But it wasn't time for that, and it wasn't the method that God desired. So he got away. He used envy to kill Christ. In Matthew the 27 chapter and verse 17, it says, "Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had turned him over because of envy. Satan had provoked their hearts because of their envy. We all have emotions and feelings, and they're all very real. But we can use a truth. Of God to combat those. And I hope you understand a little better today how Satan uses our own emotions against us in getting us to deny God. In Proverbs, the fourth chapter, in verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. If you look at Strong's, the word here for heart, is used figuratively very widely for feelings, will, and intellect. So what Solomon is telling us is keep your feelings and your emotions with diligence. Because out of those, your reactions are going to be what your life is about. And how true that is that our emotions either cause peace or they cause trouble and heartache for us. I hope you've enjoyed the study this morning. If there's one here who has never named the name of Christ and been baptized into him, become a child of God that would like to do that this morning, or if there's one here who is struggling for any reason that needs the prayers of the church, We'd ask either to come forward and have a seat on the front as we stand and sing.